Running Light Ministry Podcast is brought to you by listeners like you. You can support these podcasts by making a gift to the ministries at runninglight.org. Welcome to the Running Light Podcast. My name's Bo. I'm Peter. And we are going to talk about a biblical family today. <laughs> and the reason why I kind of got on this topic, Peter, was, of course, I was thinking about sex. No. <laughs> and, you know, that's what we do. And uh, when I was thinking about sex, I was thinking about, you know, uh, purpose for sex. And then I was thinking about family. And then I was thinking about maybe how families have changed over years. You know, I remember reading um, Wednesday Martin's book called um, Untrue. And it's a more recently published book from an anthropologist uh, on uh, kind of, uh, you know, not just modern day sexual behaviors, but also history of sexual behaviors and tribalism and, and how sex looked. But then it kind of moves into how families look, too. Yeah. And... So I thought, you know, it might be nice to talk a little bit about family a little, uh, a little, and you know, I I tend to be real um, kind of philosophical in some of my thinking, where I, I'll go, um, you know, like, hey, what, you know, what are we doing today um, that brings about such a ferocious argument um, on family values you know because you 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 hear this argument all the time like this just this kind of like you know it's against family values it's against you know you know the family and um but what does that mean you know you know what does that really mean like okay family but okay like how do you define that yeah and i guess that's what I was kind of thinking about in this podcast is kind of breaking that down a little bit and just maybe what the Bible's view of that w- would be um, and how maybe we could talk better to people, how how we could uh, talk in a way that maybe br- helps or we can help define things better when we're talking to people. Because someone might obviously say like, hey, man, family values, but they got family values, too. And it might be different from my family values. Right. <laughs> you know, so. Um, and, and there's ramifications for family, different kinds of family values, Yeah, you know, and especially, uh, you know, sexual values that make up family values, yeah. you know? So there's a lot there to kind of unpack, you know, but what would you say first just about, you know, biblical family? Yeah. So the reason why we, we have to talk about this issue, why it's so important to us is when you think about a, any type of society or community, family is the building block, meaning that family is like the the lowest on the totem pole. The only thing lower than family would be individual. So you have like country and then you maybe have like state and then you have city. And then within the city, you probably have like a culture that you're in, whether it's like a Christian culture, a conservative culture, a liberal culture, whatever. You have some sort of a culture that you're a part of. And then within that culture, what builds up the culture would be family units. And then underneath family unit would be individual. So uh, when you look at that, that means that the family really is one of the most important building blocks of culture as a whole. Because not only does family build up the next building block, which would be culture, and then above that, which would be state and city and country, but also family is what also builds the individual. Right. It's what teaches family is what's going to teach the individual the majority of their ethics, their values, their morals. And it the family is going to be what gets that individual into a culture all until they're about a teenager. And then the, they usually start rebelling. Mm. But um, until that That's point, true. the the values and stuff are ingrained solely by the family. Uh, the culture and society has very little impact on the child until they get to around the teenage years, and then the culture has a very big impact on the child. So when you look at the family within the Bible, the Bible puts uh, kind of, uh, and when I say kind of, I mean an incredible emphasis upon the importance of family. Uh, so you have instances, let's say in the Proverbs, where he says, train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. We have this idea that the family can train a child in a particular way, 
and the general rule is that if you train a child in a particular way, he will be able to maintain that way uh, throughout his life. Now, it doesn't mean that it will always happen that way. It just means that it has the potential to happen that way. Mm-hmm. And uh, that means that it's uh, quite a big emphasis on the parents and the family unit because if I'm training the child up in a bad way, <laughs> he will not depart from it, right? I can entrain, I can ingrain in my child a lot of bad ethics, a lot of bad morals and decision-making that will stick with him for the rest of his life. Uh, Beyond that, you have many commandments throughout the Bible that talk about the family unit. And even the Apostle Paul makes a point where when he's talking about the commandments given to the people of Israel, he talks about children honoring their fathers and mothers. And he says, for this is the first commandment that was given with a promise, Mm. meaning every other commandment that was given prior in the scriptures is just don't do this, right? Thou shalt or thou shalt not. Uh, the Lord your God, he is the one that delivered you out of Egypt. You shall have no other gods before me, right? There's no, there's no blessing said after that or spoken after that. It's just don't do it. Uh, but then when it gets to children honoring their fathers and mothers, he says that it may be well with you and you might prosper in the land. So there's a huge emphasis upon family and the importance of it quite a bit of the biblical passages and morality that we find in the Bible have to do with the family unit, whether it's with uh, marriage, sexuality, raising children, things like that. Those are huge inside of the Levitical law, as well as inside the discussions given to us by the apostles in the New Testament. Quite a bit of their letters have to do with the family. Uh, Actually, I would say that the vast majority uh, there are some commandments given to us as individuals, but the majority of them are given to people in relationship, how we treat one another uh, in families and in communities and uh, spouses and things like that. Uh, even you have one of the strictest and harshest judgments from Paul when it comes to family in First Timothy chapter 5, where he says, He who does not provide for his own, even his own household, he is worse than a non-believer and he has denied the faith, right? That's... That's the only that's the only one off the top of my head that I could think of where Paul says that someone is worse off than someone who just flat out doesn't have a relationship with Christ hmm. uh, would be the person who doesn't defend his own household. So wow. hu- huge importance. Yeah, and you use the word family unit, and it made me think of in the scriptures that you have Adam and Eve, a unit, and they have children. And they are a part of Adam and Eve. And then it made me think of Genesis chapter 10. I think it is the table of nations. Mm -hmm. And I was thinking of the genealogies and how it really answers a question of why is there so many genealogies in the Bible? (laughs) And it seems to be pointing us always to the importance of these units, Mm -hmm. you know, and, um, uh, you know, the the Bible even has, like, uh, in the Old Testament, the Jews are the 12 tribes of yeah. Israel. And they were allocated by unit, these family, family yeah. units. Yeah. Um, you see in the uh, Joshua chapter, I want to say maybe 6 or 7, where Achan uh, is caught taking... Uh, booty from the uh, uh, routing of Jericho, Jericho yeah. or not really the routing of Jericho, <laughs> the but the destruction <laughs> of, of Jericho. Jericho. <laughs> That's right. But w- you know, upon that, you know, you, you you get the idea. You see the family units getting breaking out, uh, breaking down when Joshua's kind of seeing uh, who actually was the culprit. Right. He sets him aside by the whole nation and then by tribe and then by family. And then he keeps going down until he gets to Aiken. Yeah. Aiken's whole family is executed for his individual sin, his individual crime. Yeah. Which is super radical. Right. (laughs) (laughs) And you know, in, in our, and, and this is kind of an important thing that the Bible brings out where when you look at God delivering the nation of Israel from Egypt, he starts setting down, Um, commandments to do with their sexuality and the way that they raise their kids. And some of the like commands that we read in there, we're like, that's harsh. You know, if your kid does not honor you, you can kill them. Like you could stone them to death. 
you know, if, if you commit adultery, that's the death penalty, right? So really harsh commands for violating the family unit. And people in our culture, because we live in such an individualistic culture, we don't really grab that. Like, why would God be so harsh when he came to preserving the family unit? And what God seems to be doing in this moment is he seems to be challenging the family paradigm that the Jews had gotten from Egypt. So in other words, what I'm saying and what Bo's saying is that there are many ways to look at the family unit, but God contends that there is a right way. Right? There is a there is a right way. I can't really think of any culture that doesn't, even ours, uh, you know, we may say that this is the death of family values. No, it's not the death of family values. It's a difference in family values, right? Our, our culture doesn't devalue the family. It's not like our culture is like, hey, family doesn't matter. You know, your community doesn't matter. The people you grow up with doesn't matter. If that was true, why are they fighting so hard to get people who are transgender and homosexual rights to be parents, right? If they didn't care about families, they wouldn't do that. Mm. So clearly it matters to them. They just have a different view of what a good family unit is than you do. Right. Um, yeah, and there's another thought that it, I, I kind of think too is how how does like what were the family units like in Egypt compared to what was in the Jewish world yeah so when when you study a lot of ancient cultures first of all they're incredibly patriarchal which God preserved to an extent and um you know, me and you talk about this a little bit. It's hard for a lot of Christians to understand this, but God took the people of Israel as they were, and he worked with them. So meaning a lot of the commandments in the Old Testament will sound odd to us. We'll read it and we'll be like, I don't like that God said that. Is God really advocating this type of behavior? For mm -hmm. instance, there's provision for polygamy in the law. Um, there's provision even for having sexual relations with your slaves. And again, people will really struggle with commandments like that. Is God, is God saying that this is good behavior? And what we see is that God's not saying it's good behavior, but he recognizes that you can't change a culture overnight. You can't just shift a culture randomly. And so instead what he does, he, he takes them where they're at. He provides commandments that's going to meet the people right where they're at in that moment. But then he throws things out there that are going to lead to or point to something greater. So what we see within the commandments, though, is we get an idea of what life was like in Egypt. And we get this idea that women were second-class citizens. Men were allowed to have multiple wives. Sexual relations outside of marriage was not considered taboo or wrong. Uh, we even see it in the patriarchs. They Going into prostitutes was not considered taboo, obviously, in their culture. Um, having concubines, meaning women that you're not married to, but are afforded sexual rights. That was pretty common as well. Uh, therefore, the family unit was incredibly disjointed. You had uh, families like David's family, where he had multiple wives and multiple kids from these different marriages and unions. And there was a lot of disharmony within these family units because of that. So uh, we, we get a, a fairly good idea of how ruptured the family unit was. God cuts off some of the more, what he would consider the more extreme ones right off the bat. Uh, things like bestiality, incest, um, homosexuality, right? He cuts those off immediately and threatens them with the death penalty. But some of these others, again, he provides provisions for them, an allowance for them at the time, but never a approval of them. Meaning God doesn't say this behavior is good. He just provides a provision because he knew that that behavior was already going on. Mm. Mm. And and um, another idea that I was thinking too is it's interesting that, you know, you said something about us today being more individualistic and in the old testament you really see uh groups these units right. these family units and like with Achan you know uh, in the book of Joshua where he, he his family was judged yeah. uh, as a unit and i wonder you know it made me think of kind of the current topic of cultural marxism a little bit 
of the idea of putting people into groups. Right. And no longer seeing people as individuals. Right. Individual units, individual people, but instead just lumping people in with other people's sins. Yeah. So if that person sins and it, you know, like corporal porn. Yeah, if yeah. someone does a, a if someone does something wrong in the society, people are quick now to look at a, the skin color of that person. Right. Um, to see so that they can lump them in with some group sin, yeah. some cultural group sin, uh, which I find super disgusting. Yeah. In my mind, I just go, "Wow, we have." Got, we've gone so backwards, it seems like, from Martin Luther King days, right. um, where we've grown extremely racist. Right. Um, and maybe we've always been racist. It's just people that have thought that they never were racist are racist. Yeah. And, and, you know, and I, t I was thinking even this morning that, uh, you know, really racism is just a, it, it's just a symptom of something far greater that's going on in the heart. Right. Because you can lump people in groups by how much melanin you have in your skin. You can lump people in groups by the color of their hair. You can lump people in groups by if they have tattoos. You could lump people in groups in so many different ways. Yeah. <clears throat> and what you see in the Bible is, and, and we actually do understand this in our culture, no matter how individualistic we are, we still to an extent understand this, that what God is saying is that when someone does something wrong, there are things, there are units that influence that person's decision-making and the person that they've become. And those people, therefore, should be held accountable to a certain extent. Now, this is what I mean. If we found out, let's say, I, you know, I was watching this documentary a, a couple months ago, and these parents had a kid who is 14 years old, um, seemed like a normal kid, got off the bus one day, um, hid behind a rock. And when a little five-year-old boy that lived in his neighborhood came out of the house, he jumped out and stabbed him to death. And this kid's obviously in prison for the rest of his life. And the parents had to move. And one of the reasons why they had to move is because everyone in their life was like, what was going on in that household that this kid would do that? Meaning that there was a even though we're incredibly individualistic, there's a part of us that's like something had to have been going on in that house. Like kids don't just do that. Like that doesn't just happen. Now, uh, from me watching the documentary, I don't see anything that could be laid at the feet of the parents. Uh, it, it probably was some sort of a mental disorder this kid had that went awry and thoughts started going and he made a decision. But at the end of the day, people even there reason out to like maybe the parents influenced him or when we find someone committing a crime we usually say like where did he grow up what kind of influences were in his life what kind of music did he listen to what kind of people did he watch on youtube what kind of tweets did he send out right we're we're trying to figure out what cultures influence this person's decision and there's like two equal and opposite errors that we can make uh, and there's a third one that the Bible flatly denies. The first, the, the one that kind of overarches all of them is laying blame at the feet of something that cannot be blamed. So what I mean by that is the contention of people saying, well, this person did it because they're white. The Bible never does that. Meaning the Bible never looks at someone's race or ethnicity and assumes violence or assumes destructive behavior because of that the bible does however look at culture the bible does evaluate certain cultures and god even advocates the eradication of certain cultures by the nations of israel right so you do have instances where god looks at cultures and condemns them but you never see god condemn an ethnicity you never see him look at a race or a racial subgroup and say because of your skin color you ought to wipe these people out, right? He always denotes their cultural practices as reasons for being judged. Um, so that that's a big deal. And even in our culture that we're trying to be as anti-racist as possible, it's interesting to me that we still are doing it. You know, we're still laying blame on people based on their race, uh, first and foremost. 
But the, the equal and opposite mistakes that we can make is either A, believing that because people are individuals, their culture holds no responsibility for their behavior. Now, that's untrue. You know, this comes from like kind of American arrogance, I believe, in our capitalistic culture where we tend to believe that we're self-made people. And think about how this plays out. That means that if I'm wealthy, I cannot ever say the reason why I'm well off, the reason why I have a good family, good home, has nothing to do with the way that my parents raised me. It has nothing to do with my education. It has nothing to do with the people that fed into my life and the culture I grew up in. Of course, that's ridiculous. You know, of course, my parents gave good values to me. Of course, I'm benefited by going to a good school system. Of course, I'm benefited by the culture that I grew up in, right? These are things that absolutely made me the person that I am. So it's impossible for us to say, like, looking at someone who, let's say, is in a gang in South Detroit and saying, like, oh, well, that person just doesn't have a lot of responsibility. You know, it's just a very irresponsible person. Well, what you're doing is you're saying that the individual is solely responsible for their bad actions and behavior. That's ridiculous. Of course, their culture impacted them. Of course, their lack of, uh, their lack of good role models impacted them, right? You, you can't say that nothing, none of those things played a factor in the decisions that they're making. But on the flip side, then you can come to the equal and opposite error and say that the culture is solely responsible for making that person do what they did. And you see this uh, contradicted by God in the book of Ezekiel, where the people are like, man, we had no control over our actions. Our parents sucked, you know, and God's like, no. And the, the proverb that they're quoting was the parents have eaten, the fathers have eaten sour grapes and our teeth are set on edge. And God says, no, each man will be judged for his own mistakes. That was the radio song that played of the day. That was it, man. That was, <laughs> that was the hit tune. That was their hit tune. That was their Led Zeppelin man, cranking. I know. Like, <laughs> like, we love this song. God's like, turn that off. Yeah. Man. He's like, that's garbage. So there's a level where they can influence you, but there's also a level where you are responsible for your decisions. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. Okay, so let's get back to some of the, some of the family units because, um, you know, how do we ever get to this family unit of one man, one woman, and, you know, kids? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so it goes all the way back to Genesis. Mm -hmm. so what we see is uh, whenever Jesus spoke about the family, in fact, whenever pretty much any of the apostles spoke about the family unit, they would quote Genesis chapter 2. Uh, and they would talk about God creating one man, one woman, uniting them together, and then God giving them the commandment, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth. So th they always reason back to original intent. So uh, when God created Eden, what we believe is that Eden was good. That's what God called it, good. So it's very reasonable for us to look at Eden and say, this has some sort of an ideal that we ought to be trying to live up to, right? That, that God wants us to be in. And we see the, the example there of being one man, one woman, united, and kids being a part of that unity. Uh, I think it's in the book of Malachi where he says he has made the two one. And why does he desire them to be one? That they may have godly offspring. So there's even Malachi is arguing back to Genesis. But you, you see them looking at this and saying this is the right perspective. And when does the family unit start being destroyed? Well, in chapter 3, when Adam and Eve fall... The very next chapter, chapter four, you have Cain killing Abel, and then you have two family lines laid out for us. The godly line of Seth, who's the third child, the third son of Adam and Eve, and the ungodly line of Cain. And one of the first things that the ungodly line of Cain is known for is polygamy, right? All of a sudden you have polygamy, and you have uh, abuse, and you have violence, and you have all these things coming out of the ungodly line of Cain, and it starts in this perversion of the family unit uh, then you keep moving forward and like I said you get into the book of Leviticus and you see God forbidding other types of family things like uh, polygamy uh, definitely the idea of homosexuality the idea of bestiality and incest all these things are forbidden by God but the original intent was certainly one man and one woman uh, molded together for life united together for life and from that unity comes godly offspring. 
Now, it's also important to understand that um, we could also err on this side as Christians because some people in our culture are like, kids are not important. And I guess we could talk more about that later, the idea of the pill and uh, family planning and how that has kind of changed our perspective on the necessity of kids. But uh, some Christians can get the idea, some more progressive Christians can bind to the cultural idea that kids aren't important, right? God doesn't really care about you having kids, uh, which is wrong, right? You could quote a number of passages that talk about God being pleased with uh, people bearing children. Uh, I think the proverb where he says, you know, children are like arrows in the quiver of a mighty man. And yeah. blessed is the man who has his quiver full. Well, you just quoted Malachi. Right. Malachi as well. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So you have this instance where God is clearly pleased with children. He's clearly pleased with Christians, uh, with his followers and believers having kids. Uh, but then we could also get on the flip side. And some Christians are like, therefore, you must have kids and a lot of kids. You know, that's that's what's going to please God. You have to have a ton of kids and you have these quiver full ministries uh, where the idea is just like procreate, procreate, procreate. And if you ever use any type of family planning, you're sinning against God. And we see that that's also false because we see God. Well, first of all, we see God intentionally limiting certain family lines. Think about Abraham and Sarah, yeah, right? Where he intentionally prevented Sarah from being able to have children until Isaac. And then that was it. She had Isaac and that was it. Uh, Rachel is another good example. You also have instances in the Bible where God praises the barren women because the obvious logical conclusion to that is if it is a morally righteous thing for you to have kids, if you can't have kids, you're unrighteous. And this is how the people of Israel reasoned as well. They said, man, if you can't have kids, you're unrighteous, you're wicked. And God in Isaiah, I think it's 45, he says, rejoice, O barren woman. Right? So there's this idea that in God, you can rejoice even if you don't have kids. You also have instances in, say, 1 Corinthians chapter 7, where Paul encourages people to possibly stay single and to not have children for the reason that of the current struggle that they were going through. So you see this interesting balance where it certainly seems like God likes us to be married and have children, but it doesn't seem to be a moral commandment. It doesn't mean that you're more righteous if you have kids and are married versus being married and not having kids or being single for the rest of your life. Yeah. And it seems like marriage or, or not marriage, but family unit changes as technology changes too. Right. Um, it creates more uh, choices and decisions for how a family unit is going to function, how it's going to look um, and, and, and all that as well. Um, you know, early birth control has always been in play. Yeah. It's just, what did it look like? Yeah. <laughs> you know, um, back in the day, you know, you read Ezekiel 16 and you realize that abortion was a big one. Yeah. You know, we're, are, are, are you know, tossing out your child. Right. Um, and, um, you know, that's always been around and, you know, reading, um, some books on the, on the history of sex, you get different different ideas all through the Roman Greco world of how those women went to great lengths to try to, uh, you know, figure things out. Um, and obviously the church had a lot of, you know, through their beliefs on the non-use of any birth control for hundreds and hundreds of years that created, um, a, a, a forced a different look in the family unit as well. Yeah. You know, you probably had a much larger family unit um, when you couldn't use birth control. And all sex had to be for is procreation. Right. No pleasure. Yeah. No recreation. <laughs> right. Right. Things yeah. of that nature. But then I think of today, too. And I think, you know, of course, with the pill, you know, um, that that gives us more um, choices um, as that goes. And then I think of the, the different you know, we're at, we're at a place too, where the fan, you know, these units can look a lot different. And I think in our country and maybe in our world, a lot of people are wondering and thinking like, Hey, why don't we have like, what is wrong with polygamy? Yeah. What is wrong with, um, you know, these different family unit structures? Yeah. Why should we structure the family this way? Right. You know, and, and I think that's what, 
I think I can't remember which proverb it, is, proverb it is, but it says, "Do not remove a boundary until you know what it is there for." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and, uh, you know, when you're looking at where did Western ideals get our concepts of family, and you see that they're very much rooted in Christian values. And anyone who would disagree with that, anyone would be like, no, there's no way, there was the Enlightenment, things like that. Look up how your ancestors looked at the family unit. It doesn't matter what your ancestors were. It really doesn't. If you go around the world, it was pretty similar. Polygamy, very common. Or if it wasn't just flat-out polygamy, mistresses, way common. Yeah. The idea Just of- as slavery was worldwide right and people failed to remember that right (laughs) (laughs) um you know polygamy was right along that line as well polygamy homosexuality incest right incredibly common right no one no one would bat an eye bestiality bestiality there would be nobody who would be like oh that's weird that guy's having sex with his aunt that's weird like no one would think that way that was just completely normal in your ancestral cultures. Yeah, and that's why it's that's why we always say porn is just a reflection of kind of us, right? You know, because it's uh, some people look at it and go, "Oh, that's so ooky spooky," but no, that's just human beings, right? You know, and just... you know, even and it, our culture's gone even further though. So we have like our ancestors, our ancestors didn't have a biblical worldview, so we kind of just created for ourselves what we thought was good. But at least we had a utilitarian idea of family, meaning that if you're living in a tribal unit, if I'm like, you know, your ancestors are probably like Celtic and you're in the woods and you're just hanging out and there's animals and there's dangers and there's rival nations and stuff like that. Having large tribe is good. right? It has a function. It keeps you safe. Uh, and so therefore, at least they thought of raising children as being a noble thing to do. Uh, the idea of having lots of kids, right? Raising up the culture, things like that, instilling values, all very, very important. It had a very functional perspective. So as long as you weren't hurting the function though, it didn't matter. Mm-hmm. So man, it doesn't matter if you have a mistress, as long as you're, you're having kids and those kids are being raised with values that are noble in the tribal uh, perspective. But in our culture, we don't believe in utilitarianism anymore. We believe in something called existentialism. Existentialism states that existence precedes essence, meaning that who you are and what you are are completely different things. What you are is determined not by birth, not by biology, not by any type of natural necessity. What you are and who you are are solely determined by your existential perspective on self. Meaning you're born, you exist, but the essence, what makes you you, is determined by yourself. It's self-determined through your perspective. So if you're born biologically male, you can at one point look out and say, but that's not who I am. I'm gonna remake this. Um, If you're born in a particular family that has values different than yours, you could look out and say, I don't like that, and you can shift. Right, So there's some positives to that way of thinking, but there's also some very incredible negatives where there's no more perspective of utility, what's useful to the country, and there's no more perspective of uh, what is true or objectively right. It's just whatever the individual wants. So when we're thinking about America and the people who are really influenced by uh, this kind of culture, when they're making these decisions about what the family unit should look like, they're not making those decisions from any type of useful basis. I mean, they're not asking the question of, is this good for our country? They're just saying, what preserves best the right of the individual to make whatever decisions that they want in regards to their own well-being and benefit? seems like we're real confused because we have the same groups wanting these individual things, but yet uh, really big into grouping people into groups or putting people into groups. Right. <laughs> so it seems like the more you go away from it, the more you're in it. You yeah. Know? It seems like there's a lot of contradictions there. That's right. We're God, God did create us a very particular way, but um, the more you fight it and I can't remember who said this, but basically it's like, if you're wired a particular way, yeah. the more you fight your nature, the more ingrained in your nature you're going to become. The only difference is, is you're going to be blinded to it. 
So what I mean by that is if I don't think, like if I, if I buy into the cultural idea that I am not impacted by anybody, I'm my own person, nothing is influencing me. The culture is not influencing me. My family's not influencing me. I'm making all of my own decisions. I'm just as influenced by the culture and my family as anybody else. But now I'm blind to it. Yeah. Because I've convinced myself otherwise, where at least the person who is very influenced by his culture and society can say, yeah, I've gotten these ideas from my surroundings. So do you think people at some point got to a place where they said, hey, you know, man, woman, monogamy for life, you know, like it is in Genesis, but whether you use Genesis as a reference is kind of irrelevant. Yeah. Um, but, um, you know, it, it's better because of progeny because the idea of there is a future uh for our people um and you know and i i've written on that subject a little bit just because i've kind of looked at ethics sexual ethics and thought like what is the a good sexual ethic well could we look at future benefit Hmm. as being a factor in is this a good or bad sexual behavior? Yeah. You know, and what is, what is, and the way I did it was, what is everybody like you? What if everybody went in this direction? So let's put everybody in this category. What if everybody was polygamist? Yeah. What would that look like? You know, what would the earth look like in, 20 years. <laughs> well, if everyone had more than one wife, you'd have to have a lot more women than men. <laughs> you know? But uh, yeah, and then obviously women couldn't be, you couldn't have an equal amount of people who are polygamous versus women that also had multiple husbands. Unless we're sharing, unless everybody's just sharing wives and husbands, right. then I guess that could work. But um, what yeah. would the population be like of the planet? <laughs> you know, what would the treatment of people be like on the planet? Yeah. You know, and th- those are things I think of or what if everybody's homosexual? Yeah. You know, what is what is the future benefit? Yeah. Of that? Yeah. What what if everybody is name your thing? Yeah. And I I the reason why I tended to look at that is because I was thinking um you know, is monogamy the safest unit? you know, you know, in, in relational life, um, is it, is it, is monogamy the safest for a woman? Mm. Is it the safest for a man? And, and it works, you know, um, and, you know, I just, I, I, I just, anyway, I've kind of written, you know, theorized on those, those ideas. Yeah. And that was kind of, you know, my, my, one of the points I was trying to make a little earlier that our ancestors, that's actually how they did reason. Um, so for instance, when you talk about the issue of homosexuality, I already said that homosexuality was rampant in these societies, but not the way that we think about it today. Meaning that there was not a such thing as monogamous and strict homosexuality in those cultures. What you had instead is you had people who, even if they were like not even into girls, they were still expected to have kids. So usually even people who were who were gay in those cultures and society, they were still married to the opposite gender yeah. and they still had kids, but they just had affair. They had relations. Yeah. And, and, and that's because of that idea of future benefit. Right. There was an idea. And like you're saying, it, it was a, I think you, what did you use the word? It was a, the tribes were more concerned about functionality right utility utility of their sexual lives yeah you know so they were looking at hey we have to have a future why do we have to have kids because we need to make sure our family line stays intact or our probably uh, had to do uh with a lot of economics as well right who's going to take care of the home yeah or the property um that's how you built wealth was probably based off of a larger ancestry. Yeah. And and if you think about it, like that perspective is something that's completely gone from, almost completely gone for the Western perspective. You know, I, I even tell this to people, it's shocking to some people, but in most Eastern cultures, if you sign your name, you sign your name last first and then your first name. 
So for instance, we know most people have heard of like Kim Il-sung, Kim Jong-il, uh, and people are like, why is so many people named Kim? Well, Kim is the last name, right? That's not, that's not their name. Kim is the, is the family name. That's why all of them have that name Kim. It's because it's their family name. But they say the last name first. What does that show? You are your family first. Then you're an individual. So it's not an erasing of the individual identity, but it's a suggestion that your responsibilities are first and foremost to your family and your nation and your community. And then you think about self. And that's how those ancient cultures thought. They're like, I need to think about the, the, the benefit of my culture before I can think about the benefit of self. And even, uh, you know, Plato uh, in his book, The Republic, the beginning of The Republic is Socrates arguing about how justice cannot be defined for the individual until we first define it for the country or the culture. Because the individual justice won't matter in a culture that doesn't preserve justice to begin with. So we as Americans, though, we don't tend to think of it that way. That's why so many people in my generation, the millennial generation and Generation Z, they're not thinking about career. They're not thinking about marriage. They're not thinking about starting families. You know, most of them are in their 30s, haven't settled on a career, haven't settled down. And if they have settled down, they're not having kids yet. And unless they have an accident. But for the most part, they're not doing it because in their mindset, it's just, what's good for me? What's good for me? And they're thinking like, well, I eventually want to do this and I eventually want to do that. How will having kids infringe on that? And therefore, they're having abortions to preserve their view of self. They're not getting married to preserve their view of self. Mm. They're separating from family and culture to preserve their view of self. It's all about self first and then the family unit. And one of the things that we have to understand is that in God's perspective, one of the chief things that's wrong with man is not our affections, but it's our disordered affections. So for instance, what's the first commandment? You will have no other gods before me. In other words, God's not saying that you're not going to have anything affectionate. You're not going to have any type of affection before me. But what he's saying is I need to be first, right? You need to get your priorities straight. And it's same thing when he looks at the family unit, when we start to elevate self, as the highest ideal of justice and utility, then we moved into an arrogant and a very self-destructive type of culture where at least the cultures that elevated culture and family above self, they were a little bit more on track with God's plan, but they were still off in certain ways yeah. because they didn't elevate God. And I think the big asterisk in this is you can get, you can, you can get real narcissistic and individualistic today because of technology right right that's the asterisk right is that there's a there's a there's a technological um kind of interjection Hmm. that um gives us people now almost like oh well like uh, like now we have a new avenue right like that can kind of replace this yeah um, that takes care of this situation. So in the old, in the old life where they had, you know, sex, uh, not just pleasure sex, but they had this idea of utility of future of, uh, progeny and, and everything like that in their mind and, yeah. uh, future economics and, you know, building, you know, uh, a population. Cause let's face it. If you don't have babies, then your country goes to not, right. You know, um, your family becomes not. Yeah. I mean, that's the end, yeah. you know, so and we don't tend to care. <laughs> yeah, you're, yeah. Just, you're done. Yeah. You know, but if you want the, the family to continue um, and the things to continue, and is that a good thing to want it to continue? Right. You know, or is it not a good thing? But, you know, now you have technology that can come in and and fix uh, how do a replacement. Yeah. Um, Which is bad, you know, and, and this is this is what I mean by that. It's like. It, obviously, we should want to do the right thing because it's the right thing. But what you find is that when a need is fixed, meaning when a need is taken care of, then you see people doing things that go contrary to their best interest. Uh, a good example of that would be hospitals, right? So back in the day, there weren't really hospitals. You know, you might have some neighbors or something who were doctors who could help you out a little bit. 
But at the end of the day, your health was your responsibility. You had to preserve your own health. So the way you treated your body was actually kind of important, right? The stuff you ate, your exercise, all that stuff was actually really, really important because if you didn't take care of yourself, you would die. Like that, that was it. But now that we have hospitals and Medicare and all these things, what do you see happen to the health, the average health of the average American citizen, right? It's gone to sharp decline. And, but you look at that with almost anything. That's right. You know, you can take like radio. When right. radio comes out, now what do you have? You have people not talking to one another, but right. people are listening to the radio. <laughs> right. And of course, that was going to fry your brain. Right. And then, and then you know, then TV comes now out. We, now we yearn for the days where people were <laughs> just listening to the radio. radio. Yeah, <laughs> but, you know, and then you have visual stimulation. And what's the visual stimulation do? Well, it takes us away from you know, um, un, uh, having very imaginative um, ideas. Uh, imagination our, and real experiences. Yeah, yeah. Our, our music depreciates, our, yeah. our poems depreciate. You know, it seems like our imaginations just have kind of gone to moot, you know. Yeah. And then you think of sexual uh, stimulation. You know, you don't really need to have sex with your spouse anymore. You can just, she can go online, you can go online. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you guys can get pleasure your, you, the other way, yeah. you know, and, and do it that way. And you don't even have to touch each other. <laughs> you know, you guys can, uh, uh, you can, you know, of course, adopt a kid or you could uh, artificial insemination. Yeah. Um, you know, there's different things that could happen. And so, you know, but what are the ramifications for that? Well, now you don't need to um, talk to your spouse anymore. You don't have to really um, know what she even smells like, right. you know, like her skin or, right. you know, you, you don't need to ever deal intimately with her. So now you as a human being have become um, what we might think of as kind of um, uh, distant, yeah. you know, maybe shallow. And um, that's, that's like the really interesting thing. And I don't know that you and I both, love Huxley. <laughs> yeah. Know? And yeah. that was his idea of a brave new world yeah. where people fought so much for individualism and freedom that they got to the place where the government actually had total control of their lives. And the way that the government did it is by propping up pleasure as the ultimate end. So for instance, people no longer in a brave new world in his dystopian future, people didn't raise kids anymore. The state did, right? People didn't have sex to have kids anymore. The state artificially created embryos in tubes and split the embryos and predetermined what each individual yeah. was going to do. The, the alpha, the beta, and the gammas. And, <laughs> yeah. and I think the gammas were split like six times. Uh -huh. And so you, you have all these different ideas that are happening and people are just having mass orgies and they're having lots of sex. But it's no more the utility of all these things is completely destroyed because the state is just taking care of everything for the individual. And you see kind of the destruction of it. And interestingly, Huxley, as kind of a hedonistic guy, you know, Huxley yeah. wasn't exactly like a saint or like a, a self-controlled dude. You know, he died at, what, like in his 30s from a drug overdose. You know, like, you know, he did a lot of LSD and stuff. But, uh, you know, so Huxley wasn't exactly the most self-controlled guy. But even him, when he's writing this book, he saw the end of hedonistic individualism and he saw it as a bad, like he, even he saw it as like, we don't want to go this route, you know? Yeah. And I think that's what, that's what people maybe mean by family values. Like they're going away mm -hmm. is that when you, when you have a society that no longer holds to a consistent pattern of the family unit, yeah. then you need to have an organization that monitors and is able to regulate and able to, um, legislate. Yeah. Um, how these units are to function now. Yeah. And so government's going to have to increase. Right. You know, and I think people, um, even, whether on the right or on the left, don't quite realize what they're asking for. Yeah. Because when you, when you want the government to get more involved in your sexual lives, in your marital lives, that might not be the good thing. Yeah. No, you know, you might, they might be getting involved in so much that pretty soon, they're, you know, they are, we are at the brave new world, Yeah. you know, where it's like, um, um, you know, the, it's no, the family unit is, uh, is in a sense controlled more by the government right. than by the, um, uh, in a patriarchal area it would be like a man or in a mer uh, matriarchy, it would be the woman. Yeah. 
um, you know, of that family. Right. You know, but even that's taken away. Right. And now really you have just the government running things. Which is interesting, you know, because if you think back, like education, like sending your kids to school is just so normal to us. And we forget that how this is abnormal it is, how weird it is, you know, like it's, yeah. it's something that's totally new. Like in the last probably 200 years, the idea of everyone being educated, the education of the masses, uh, before that your family was going to be like almost the sole influence on your kid's life. And because of that, it's like something that was designed to be good of, you know, I couldn't teach my daughter, you know, long division, like I could, there's a certain level where I'm like, I'm tapped out. My knowledge base is tapped out. You need something, someone else to help you with these things. Yeah. So education is good. But the negative is, is I then look at that and say, well, that's how she's getting educated, right? How many parents trust the school system for the sexual education of your kids or, you know, even relational education or they're what they're going to do with their life, right? Their career education, you know, you just kind of trust your kids to the system and you kind of go about your life and you don't really think about it. And it even applies to the church. You know, again, how many parents really know what's happening in children's ministry when they drop their kids off or youth ministry? They're talking to the youth leaders. They know what their kids are learning. They're investing in their kids understanding of the Bible and God and they're talking to their kids about these things. You know, it's like, they're not, it's just, you've kind of pushed them out and you're like, that's their job. You know, you're going to, you're going to, so it's like, in a way we are moving closer and closer to that brave new world where other people are raising your kids and you're not, you know? Yeah. And nowadays with the internet, it's even, you know, your family unit can be people online. Yeah. You know, and that can be part of your family unit. You don't have to know them or you don't have to feel them. Yeah. You don't have to uh, necessarily see them. Yeah. You could just listen to them. But uh, they're influencing you. Yeah. It could just be a uh, avatar, you know, that's before you. Yeah. And uh, but that person's your family. That's, you know, how many people, you know, look at YouTubers or uh, how many people look at pets as family? You know, there's a lot of interesting things. Anyway, it's been a cool talk. Yeah. Yeah, so thanks for checking us out. You can always check us out at betterpleasure.net or runninglight.org. You guys have a great one, okay? Thanks for listening. Bye-bye. Check out runninglight.org to begin our two video series, Take Flight and Love or Lust. You can also send us questions on Twitter at runninglight or on our runninglight.org podcast page. Like us on Facebook at Running Light Ministries, Psalm 36.8. They are abundantly satisfied with the fullness of your house, and you give them drink from the river of your pleasures.